everyone. Welcome to another episode of the IOIT podcast. And as always, I'm joined by Jim Brent and Edward Gordon. Hi, guys. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm pretty good. It's a little colder here in Tennessee than it has been. We had rain that turned into ice recently. So that's always interesting when you walk out to your car and see little frozen beads of rain. But apart from that, it's pretty good. Yeah, here in Vermont, it's just been cold and cold. So no rain whatsoever, just snow and sub-zero temperatures. Sounds like a lot of shoveling, Jim. I actually was fortunate enough to buy a snowblower this year. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what you have to do is give it a GPS location system so that it can just run itself and plow it. Next year. You can do it with that 5G? What would be even better, though, is if instead of filling it with gas when I'm freezing cold, if it charged itself. <laughs> That's a good topic. Talking about maybe energy mm-hmm. or energy generation of how things can keep running, isn't it? In our podcast last week, we talked a lot about smartwatches and wearable devices and how much technology and different sensors are going into them. And I kind of wanted to focus this week on... As these devices get more and more powerful, how are we going to be able to continuously charge them? Because that's one of my biggest drawbacks with my smartwatches. It's nice that it lasts several days, but with more and more stuff coming out that requires more processing power, that's going to be shortened. And I have to take it off every night and remember to charge it. And the days I don't, I don't have my watch, which is unfortunate. What are you saying? You want a solar array on your smartwatch like the old Casio calculators exactly that's exactly what i'm looking at (laughs) and i'm hoping that we can do that one day or something equivalent something that we can grab power from just wearing all the time Mm -hmm. and this isn't actually a new concept back when you had to wind your watches you would wind a spring and that would potential energy in the spring would then push on your gears inside your watch and would turn the handle on we wearable wrist watches they actually came up with In 1770, a gentleman came up with self-winding watches where essentially in the back of your wristwatch, there was a weight in it that as you moved your hand back and forth, it would spin this weight around and wind that spring for you. So then you no longer had to wind your watch, which at the time, really, really cool. Yeah. The interesting history of why mechanical watches came about is that before mechanical watches, you had those pendulum clocks. You had the the swinging of the pendulum kept up the second hand, right? You know, every oscillation of the pendulum is one second, and that's how the clocks kept time. But they ran into a problem when they wanted to tell time on a ship. You could no longer bring a pendulum clock because the movement of the ship would affect the swinging of the pendulum and it no longer kept accurate time. And so they needed a different way to tell time or keep time. And so then mechanical watches of weight on a spring came about. So now you had this weight on a spring and the oscillation of the weight on the spring was equivalent to a second or something thereof. And even those weren't great. And so then they went into this wound up spring and a weight so that the circling weight would open and contract the spring. That's crazy. It's something I never thought about is that, yeah, all timekeeping was those pendulum swinging clocks and it would essentially use gravity as the first energy harvester to move those back and forth. That's a really interesting history as to why we needed wristwatches. The reason people do things is because whatever they're using doesn't work for the new reality. 
And just to me, that's also just the definition of technology as well as that constant update and changing environment. So after the weight in the watch, what they started doing is using the magnetic weights and a coil to generate electricity and different potentials. And that's how you would then start charging your watch that way. (laughs) Well, and then after that, you had people looking into ways of generating electric currents or voltages using movement and vibrations. There's this thing called piezo crystals. These are certain types of crystals, like quartz crystal, for example, which I think was the first one they found, where affecting the shape of that crystal creates a little bit of voltage. So if you had a quartz crystal, quartz has this hexagonal shape to it, and on a molecular level, what that's happening is that you have these certain positive and negative atoms arranged in this hexagonal shape. And so by affecting the shape, by squeezing it one way or another, what you're doing is you are polarizing the charges, which if you have it hooked up to a circuit, generates a little bit of voltage. By 1880, two French physicists, Pierre and Paul Curie, found out about this effect. And since then, people have been working on it, trying to figure out how they can use this to harvest electricity. The problem is it doesn't generate a lot of current. It generates microwatts to milliwatts, maybe. And so you can use it for very small applications like keeping time in a wristwatch, where you need just a little bit of current to keep it going. So you're saying that our screens and smartwatches use a little bit more than the old watches. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For energy usage, you have a lot of the work still is in academia in terms of piezoelectric generation. Yeah, especially for small aspects, right? So talking about wearables, everything is usually pretty small and worn in the body. I, to your point, Shreem, I was reading an article that's a really just a recent article about putting in a pacemaker because for anyone that doesn't know inside your body, you have these set areas that keep time themselves inside of your heart. So the heart can run by itself the cells in it can run by themselves outside of the body. If you put them in a Petri dish, they just naturally will start contracting in a specific rhythm. But for some people, you don't get the best transmission. That timekeeping is a little off because of a variety of factors. So you can use a pacemaker to be able to set that and make sure that it's running on time. But with pacemakers, one problem is that for people who get them put in when they're younger... They could have one, two, maybe even three surgeries to put in a new battery. So that ability to now power it Mm -hmm. for the lifetime of the device that you don't have to have an invasive surgery is really interesting and can make it so that the people in the future will be able to get one-time placement. And to your point with piezoelectric, is that since the heart contracts, they found out that stretch and strain that's created in the heart can be then captured by piezoelectric elements mm-hmm. to then be able to put in that micro amount of power that's needed to be able to run it for the next cycle. It'll be interesting to see inside of wrist wearables 
of how much can be generated and how much power can be generated to see if it can start running screens and microprocessors and, and everything over time. But I think the one thing that we should make clear is we're not talking about a perpetual motion machine or anything like that. It's just you're not starting the heart and then also using the heart's thing to generate power back. Then you're capturing some of it, but a lot of the power is still lost. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You always are transferring power. Exactly. When you're doing something, you can't generate power. And because then that breaks one of the laws of thermodynamics. <laughs> well, just say professional motion machines don't exist because you're always moving yeah. energy from one state to another. The lock is that you're translating the energy created by the massiveness of the earth that creates the gravitational force. You're translating that into a kinetic force mm -hmm. to be able to then power something. One of my favorite lines from The Simpsons is Homer goes, Lisa, in this house, we obey the laws of thermodynamics and throws a perpetual motion machine. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because where a lot of this comes from is where is the energy and how can I move that energy from one point to another? Because I can't just create it out of thin air, right? I have to take it from something. And in our bodies, we always are taking in energy. We have to have sugar, carbohydrates, a variety of things to be able to break that down and convert that into an energy that now, with a wearable, we can harness from the body. For me, I think that's interesting because I think of heat as one of the biggest things for the body. And we're constantly... In homeostasis, we look for a specific temperature. Are we within so many degrees? Are we creating enough heat but not creating too much heat? And one of the really cool ways that you can translate that heat from the body to something else like a wristwatch would be with the Seebeck effects, which most people will know as thermoelectric generator or some people might know it as a Peltier device to where you can input energy and you can create a hot and a cold side because inside of a Peltier element that's typically used for creating one side hot and one side cold, you have these two dissimilar conducting materials, either a, a P-junction or an N-junction. Inside of PNN, that's a classic electronics aspect where just you were saying that you have these positive and negative opposite aspects in the piezoelectric system. You have one that is more negative because it's silicon doped with a phosphorus element. So you have extra electrons and then you have one that's more positive because you don't have as many electrons because it's doped with a boron. And so when you want to create that hot and cold side, the scientist Peltier figured out that you could put in a voltage and the electrons would move to one side and move away from the other. So you get a hotter area because you get more energy in that area. Now, on the opposite side, Seebeck, another scientist, found out around the same time, both in the early 1800s, that if you made one side hot and one side cold with these two dissimilar conductors in the middle, then you could get out of voltage. So when you're on the body, close to our body is warm and away from our body is cooler. And so now you have a temperature gradient. At any point, unless you get a climate that the outside temperature is exactly the same temperature as your skin temperature, you will always have a temperature difference, be it hot or cold. 
mm-hmm. right? And that's all that you have to have is you have to have just one side hot and one side cold, not necessarily in either order. But it's really cool because, like you said, Shrim, you can create these little millivolts of electricity. In some cases, if you can get hot enough, you can get higher amounts, but hopefully the body won't get that hot. And so one of the problems that I saw with those thermoelectric generators is that in order to get those milliwatts of power, you actually need a large surface area on your body to have those elements attached to. And not only that, but as you're heating these elements, you need to have that differential. So you actually need to heat sink as well, somewhere where that energy will go into so that you don't just get a buffer of all heat throughout your device. So one of the cool things that another company is doing is actually using biofuel cells and using the chemistry of your body in order to create electricity. Fuel cell consists of anion cathode, just like all these other ones, essentially, with different electrolytics between them. And then there's usually a catalyst on the anode side. And what happens is that catalyst will separate your fuel, whatever it may be, into electrons and protons and protons will travel from the anode to the cathode and the electrons will travel into your circuit which creates a current this was first done by a welsh scientist you know my wife is half welsh so shout out to that (laughs) (laughs) william robert grove in 1839 now he used hydrogen as a fuel which for your body not a great thing (laughs) it's a little bit flammable and (laughs) well i mean your body runs off of hydrogen so a little bit and they used oxygen as a catalyst and so that generated water and electric current as the outputs and so that's why back in the 1990s there was a huge push for hydrogen fuel cells because everyone was and continued to be worried about co2 emissions from vehicles they thought oh hydrogen is the answer but it's still very very difficult and they're still overcoming hurdles with that so that was the first one but on your body your sweat is abundant and it contains not just water but other minerals what this company is actually specifically doing is using the lactate in your body in order to make these biofuel cells and so their original goal was to put it on athletes who whenever they're especially professional athletes nowadays are trying to squeeze out every percentage of body capability their bodies can because they need to be the best of the best so their thoughts were as they're wearing all these devices because nowadays football players baseball players, everybody tries to get as many metrics as possible to see, okay, what can I do 0.5% better, 0.1% better, just to be the top of their game. And they're like, well, if I have to always charge all these devices or have all these wires coming off of me all the time, I'm not going to perform my best anyway. (laughs) So they they went ahead and originally put it on athletes as they're working. They sweat all the time. They produce a lot of sweat and they were able to get decent amount of energy to power a wristwatch or some of these other sensors and they first did this in 2014 with bikers specifically a headband and at this time they were able to green print so it was a 2d device this anode cathode and the catalyst that separated the electrons from protons in the lactate to create this electric current and the nice thing about this device is as you sweat more, you actually get more energy because more lactate <laughs> leaves your body, which is really, really cool. And they were able to prove that it actually had a higher power density than thermal back in 2014 with their first design, which was about 100 microwatts of power per square centimeter. Again, 
still need a lot of surface area in order to grab all of the energy you need in order to power something like a smartwatch. Even if this company is now doing it, this isn't actually a new idea. Back in the 70s, the original pacemaker and the colloquial implants proposed were actually going to be powered by glucose as a, a biofuel and have a fuel cell inside the body, which is really cool. Problem was, is that that catalyst they used in order to separate the electrons from protons to make that electric current, that catalyst would decay in a couple of days. So you'd need another surgery. So that quickly <laughs> got thrown out the window. I find it really interesting because it's a level of biomimicry, right? Mm -hmm. Because our body uses glucose and breaks it down. There's that small quirk, like you said, that those enzymes break break apart quickly. And fortunately in our body, for most people, you'll just make more enzyme when you need it for anything. As at least a, a healthy person will continue to make enzymes for all different aspects that they need it and be able to break down that glucose. So in a sense, our cells are little biofuel systems. So it's, it's kind of translating what is currently happening into more of an external aspect mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell <laughs> and that's all i remember from biology that's, that's all i remember there's that's, nothing else in your body that's really important it's just the mitochondria just the energy creation part looping back to these biofuels just because i have a few more things <laughs> mm -hmm. is that in 2017 they actually 3d printed carbon nanotubes to be those anode and cathode instead of the screen printed one and the problem was that it's no longer 2d and they had problems with cost so that printable one was super inexpensive you could wear it for a few hours you'd be able to power your device and then you'd throw it away now it started to increase in price and you could still wear it for a few hours and power your device the drawback was it wasn't as flexible it didn't conform to the body as well what about the wonder material of graphene? We might be able to use that. Graphene is, would be a possibility. That's not something they've tested yet. I'm not saying that they can't in the future. But with this new 3D printed capability, they were actually able to get two milliwatts out, which is 100 times the original that they were in 2014, which is amazing. These biofuels enable them to do is not have a battery in there. The, the flip side of that is, Unless you're an athlete and you're sweating continuously when you're using this device, you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to produce energy all the time. So once you stop sweating and you're no longer producing that, there's no more fuel lactate for that biofuel to grab. Your device will stop working. So one of the things they want to do there's three different ways they're thinking they can do this. They can either use in conjunction with other energy harvesting such as wearable photovoltaics or piezoelectric or thermoelectric generation that's one option another is use that battery but then again they were trying to get away from using this clunky big battery in order to make it more conformal to your body make it really a truly wearable device that you never have to take off maybe we'll do a podcast on batteries because that's also an interesting technology that we want to talk about for sure. They're hoping to not just use this biofuel, but use it with something else in order to not have that clunky battery inside your watch that you need to charge all the time. It's a pretty interesting concept that I found absolutely crazy. Biofuel from your body. <laughs> so Edward, it seems talked about piezoelectric. We talked about thermoelectric and this biomimicry biofuel system. But all of these seems to be 
a little way off before they can fully replace the battery and we can fully use them. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. Batteries are here to stay for a while, right? They answer a really great problem of how do you pack in as much energy as possible for it to hold for a long period of time. How in the future do you get away from that? Possibly by having continual energy generation, but in the same aspects where you have a house and you have solar panels on the top, can you always account on having sunlight? Or are you going to run into a spot where what if you're in an outdoor environment and you have a thermoelectric and you're using the ambient air to cool it and now the ambient air is 98.4 and your body's 98.5? That temperature difference is so small that it might not really create anything and so you need some other way to do it. Or... Maybe you're not a professional athlete and you're not running around all the time and now you aren't producing enough lactate, right? If you're producing some small amount and you need to be producing some larger amount, well, now you have that that deficit of energy and you have to supplement it in some way. So I think, like you said, batteries have usage and it'll probably be some time before we figure out a way to perhaps get around it and maybe we might never be able to get around it it will be interesting to see if in the future we're able to use multiple different kinds maybe there's a place for one device using a piezoelectric where you're moving your arm and use a thermoelectric and so you're warming it with your body you're powering it with your body but then you're also because you always sweat you're sweating and you're producing some of that lactate or sucrose to be able to then power. Maybe even microfluidics is a fancy word, I would say, in, in research right now, where little tiny channels let water go through it, and then you, you do funny things with it. But maybe at some point, you can have a microfluidic channel where that sweat comes out, and it goes through, and you capture out the lactate and the sucrose, and then it goes on to the outer edge of a thermoelectric device that then dissipates and cools off, which is mimicking how your body naturally cools itself by producing sweat by that evaporation. So now you're using an aspect that your body normally does to be able to create that higher temperature gradient to get rid of heat. So maybe it's all going to be used at one time. What do you think, Shreeram? I think the vision that some of these Uh, shoe companies have of having a little piezoelectric generating device in the soles of the shoes so that as the runner is running it powers up their smartphone so they can listen to music i think it'll be it'll be great but i think people have been working on it and we'll see what they come up with one more thing i want to say about the biofuels energy generation devices they can also be used as sensors to measure the amount of glucose and lactate in your body because producing that sweat that has that inside of them, you can actually measure the amount of power that you're creating, and mm-hmm. that can tell you how much that you have in your body. So that might one day, they'll be used as a sensor creator, and it'll be able to send that information digitally to your phone, and then Amazon will tell us, go eat a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. And we all know it always comes down to Amazon. 
as they say, the Amazon effect. Eventually, Amazon will get into the business of something. But it's really interesting. I mentioned graphene. Is that there are companies that are working on glucose sensors using graphene that they can attach a receptor to it so that you can be able to sense the amount of glucose that's in it and be able to potentially in the future use that as a way to alert someone. And in my perhaps futuristic thought is that maybe one day you'll get a small implantable device where it will change resistance or give out a small frequency that you can be able to measure to say, okay, this is what the current state of this is is in your body. And you could either do that possibly implantably or, like you were saying, Jim, on the surface because of the sweat coming out. So, Edward, if I'm low on power in my smartwatch and I have a thermoelectric generator, should I purposely get sick and give myself a fever so that I can create more energy? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a medical professional, but being sick to run a device doesn't sound like a great idea. But if anyone else has any more questions, please email us at ioitpodcast at gmail.com well with that thank you everyone for listening before we say goodbye today i think we want to take a second to talk a little bit about chris wrestling he was a co-host for the around the nfl podcast and a writer for nfl.com and he passed away last friday from cancer and I think some of us have been listening to the Around the NFL podcast for six, seven years now. And when we try to do podcasts, we always try to listen to other more successful podcasts and other more successful co-hosts of podcasts and try to mimic them and try to take stuff from them and learn from them. And I think Chris Wrestling was one of those people that we all listen to and try to do better using his example. And it was very sad news to hear about his passing and we will be praying for his family and his friends thank you chris with that for the ioit podcast i'm sriram i'm jim and i'm edward bye see ya